Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom, I'm Dr. Diana Dye with Foundations in Torah and Bible Interact TV. I hope you'll check out both the websites. Foundations in Torah is my personal website, and I have lots of uh, interesting articles and newsletter articles and uh, various teachings, a lot of different topics. I do a lot on the temple and the Hebrew prayer service. I have a teaching on Hezekiah, the life and times of Hezekiah, and how his life is an exact pattern of Yeshua the Messiah. There's one called Service of the Heart, which lays the backdrop for the entire prayer service and how we ended up with the Siddur and how those prayers are really a reflection of what went on in the temple services, uh, specifically in the book of Psalms. And I've got a teaching called The Dew of Heaven, which is on the resurrection of the dead. I have one on the Beatitudes, which shows you how the The Beatitudes themselves came out of the very first word in Scripture. So lots of great material, and you can become a member on my site at www.foundationsintorah. And I also work with Bible Interact TV. We have a website in which you can actually, if you want to do some distance education, you can sign up with that. You can take courses, and it will help you be able to do your own digging into the Scriptures. And Bible Interact TV also has a Roku channel now, where you can go watch some of our teachings. We're a consortium of scholars from all different backgrounds, and uh, we bring to you sort of the Hebraic foundation of the scriptures. We have archaeologists that work with us as well. So check those out. Now, we've been talking about the fig tree. We've approached uh, session number five here. And in the next probably two weeks, we're going to cover a lot of information about the rulership of the kingdom. Because my premise is that the fig tree, yes, it it represents Israel, and uh, many believe that that is the case, but I believe in, in even more specifically is that the fig tree represents the leadership of Israel. We talked last time about a parable in Luke 13, talking about a tree that was planted in a vineyard, a fig tree that is, and uh, noted how that's kind of unusual to have a fig tree planted in the vineyard. So the vineyard being the whole house of Israel, and to my mind the fig tree representing the leadership of Israel. Now typically in scripture trees represent people, and in particular they represent rulers. So we're going to see in the next, as I said, in the next probably two weeks how this plays out. Now, we have to go back to the beginning to be able to understand all this, of course. And so we have Gani Dan, the Garden of Eden, in which God established his kingdom on earth. And he gave Adam, Adam, his, the responsibility to tend and guard the garden. And his role, Adam's role, was as a priest. And so this idea of his service in the garden, Avodah, is a word for worship or the service and work in the temple, same word. And guard comes from Shamar, and we have the sort of the courses or the guards of the, the temple called the Mishmarot, and they are the courses of the priests. So we, we have something here pointing us to the temple, the structure of the temple, because after all, 
The Holy of Holies was the place where the throne room of God was on earth, the Ark of the Covenant, specifically his throne, and that's where he his presence would be on earth. So certainly his presence in the garden, everything is according to a kingdom with a king, the throne, etc. So Adam was really God's representative or ambassador, if you will, on earth, and he had certain responsibilities as a priest did in the, in the temple. Think of the temple sort of as a kingdom. Now, Adam, what does he do? He rejects God's rule over him because he disobeys God's commandments, and he eats, of course, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He eats the fruit of that tree, so he is exiled out of the kingdom, if you will. And now he finds himself uh, outside the kingdom and into another kingdom. He is outside the boundaries of the kingdom of God or the messianic kingdom, if you want to call it, on earth, and is now under the domain of the enemy outside the garden, outside of Gan Eden. So he has a new king, and that is Hasatan, because Hasatan has dominion now over the earth. Anything outside the boundaries of the temple or the kingdom uh, will be under the rulership of Hasatan. So now Adam is basically a slave or a ruler, uh, excuse me, a slave to this ruler, to Hasatan. Again, trees in, in scripture represent uh, kings, they represent people, but in particular kings and rulers. So what we have here, the battle lines are drawn now for the remainder of all of scripture. From, from beginning to end, we have these two kingdoms in conflict. And there is a battle for the hearts and minds of mankind over which kingdom will you serve in. And ultimately, the choice remains, it's, it, and it's your choice. You choose which kingdom you want to be in, and you choose who is your king. And so that was uh, Adam's choice. It appears at some point there was obviously a change of heart and repentance. And we see that Adam most likely gave a burnt offering, and because typically with that offering, the skins were given to the priests. And we find here that he covered himself with skins, so perhaps the skin of the burnt offering. And ultimately, the goal of the kingdom of the enemy, the kingdom of Hasatan, he is eternally committed to destroying the kingdom of heaven and the subjects in the kingdom of heaven. That would be God's people. And who are they? They're the ones that hold to the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah, and they're the ones who obey the commandments of God. So that's sort of the backdrop as we move into the whole discussion on the rulership and the kings of Judah and their relationship to the fig tree. Now, we also need to look at something in Deuteronomy 17.14. These are the requirements laid down by God for kings. This is kind of a synopsis here. And it says, when you enter the land and are living there, you may say, I want to have a king over me, just like they did, just like the nations around me. So then you must appoint as king the one whom God chooses. And the king must be one of your kinsmen, part of your tribe, cannot be a foreigner, the king is not to acquire many horses, many wives, or an excessive amount of silver and gold. And when the king occupies the throne of his kingdom, he's to write a copy, what we call in Hebrew a Mishnah Torah, a copy of the Torah, or a copy of this Torah, in a scroll from the one used by the Kohanim, by the priests and the Levites. You find that again in Deuteronomy 17.14. He is to read that every day so he will fear God. Wouldn't that be nice if our leaders would do that every day so they wouldn't fear God? And he is to keep all the words of the Torah so that he won't think 
himself better than his kinsmen. I think that's really critical. Keep a humble heart and recognize that he isn't any better than the people that he is ruling over. He's just been the one given that responsibility. And if he were to do all this, he will prolong his own reign and that of his children. And uh, so David said, of course, God has chosen me to be king over Israel forever. And he has chosen Yehuda to be the ruler. So again, that's really critical because, uh, as we'll see in just a moment, the first one raised up as king was not the choice. Uh, this was the choice of the people and not of God. But David is God's choice, and he was to be king over Israel forever. And he was he came from Jehuda, Judah, Yehuda. He was to be the ruler from Yehuda. So God instructed Shlomo, Solomon, David's son, that he would establish the throne of his rulership and that there would never there would always be a man to rule in Israel from his loins but god also said he would e- reject the house from his sight and make it an object of scorn if solomon were to violate the commandments of god so what does solomon do he violates the commandments of god and he goes against everything we just read Uh, Of course, he acquires many wives. It doesn't appear anybody had acquired quite as many as he did. Many horses and a lot of gold and silver. So ultimately, there was a consequence for that. And the the kingdom was torn from his son, Rehoboam, and who was the king or the ruler of Judah. And so scripture will then follow two lines, the king of Judah and the king of Israel. And we will see them in conflict, really, with one another all, all through through scripture, through the time of the kings. But the most significant king would be the king of Judah. Now, if we go back, we're going to look at the period of the judges for just a moment. Because during that time, although they didn't have a sort of king per se, they had righteous judges whose responsibility was essentially the same. They were to rest, the, the one who was raised up as a judge was to rescue Israel from the power of the enemy. Really, that's the, one of the functions of the king uh, in that context is to protect and deliver his subjects from the enemy. So what's interesting, too, is that we're going to look at our fourth judge, and that's Deborah. Now, we mentioned quite a bit in previous programs the pattern of the fourth and Yeshua coming in the fourth day in the 4,000 year And that the fruit, the first fruit, was set aside and sanctified in the fourth year to be eaten in the fifth year. And that redemption is associated with the fourth year. All these different things. So it is significant that Deborah, the judge, came. or She was the fourth judge over all of Israel. She was a righteous judge. And out of that righteousness, she produced good and sweet figs. And we'll see how that plays out in just a second. So in order to kind of, we're going to go through the whole story of of Deborah, uh, not in detail, but just laying out some of the characters and what they meant. But but before we get there, I'd like to reread this passage that I read in our first session from Judges 9.10 that says, The trees once went forth to anoint a king to rule over them. The trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said, Should I cease my sweetness and my good figs? And go to have sway over trees. And again, the trees representing people. And you see this idea. This is a parable that's in in the book of Judges, Judges 9.10. So you see this idea of the trees as people and then the king, a fig tree coming to rule over them. Now, uh, 
the people at this particular time are kind of uh, what we classify as unrighteous, basically following after other gods, disobedient, rebellious, all that stuff. And so Deborah's good figs are those that are the righteous. She's, in a sense, the tree, the fruit are her subjects. Her subjects are the righteous ones in the kingdom. The rest of the bunch are the unrighteous. So we have a picture, really, of her rule over the righteous in the messianic kingdom. And she will not join herself. She will not be the head, if you will, of a body that is rebellious and unredeemed. So she is certainly a pattern of the Messiah as well. Now, after the tree, they go through these different, uh, asking about these different trees coming to rule over them. They talk about, in Judges 9.10, the trees asked Avimelech, who was one of the sons of Gideon, who was not a good guy. And so finally, all the trees said to the thorn bush, now he is the thorn bush, he represents the enemy, Hasatan, the thorn. You come and rule over us. And the thorn bush replied, If you really make me king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. And I went into a lot of detail early on, so I don't want to repeat myself too much here. But the idea is one taking shelter in the shade meant coming under the rulership of the sovereign. So the sovereign, in this case, the thorn bush, representing Hasatan, the people coming under his shade or coming under his shelter, really coming under his rulership. Now, Avimelech, again, was one of Gideon's sons, only he was the son from the concubine, so he really wasn't the rightful heir or the legitimate son. And, of course, that's the one the people chose. They chose the illegitimate uh, son from the thorn bush, the enemy of God. This kind of sounds familiar if you're currently in the U.S. We have a tendency to never choose the right one. And like Adam, who chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so the people chose the thorn bush or Avimelech, and they came under his authority, his sovereignty, and under his protection. And they, in a sense, joined themselves to that tree, kind of a picture of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and chose another king, not the one that God had chose for them. So let's look at the cast of characters then in Judges chapter 4 in relationship to Deborah. So certainly we have Deborah. She is, represents the fig tree, which represents the messianic kingdom or the future kingdom to come and was the rightful ruler of the people. And then again, the fruit, the good fruit, are her subjects. They're the righteous. The word Deborah comes from the root devar, which means word. It can also mean bee, B-E-E, -E, as in a, a colony of bees, kind of pointing to a congregation, has both meanings. What's interesting about bees are they love fig trees. And what they would do is feed on the, the sweet sap of the, that the fig leaf produced so that I talked about that before but the sap kind of a white milky sticky latex bees love to, to feed off of that and it said that they, from this latex or this sticky milky substance um, wounds are healed because the latex would form a natural rubber and also this natural rubber would be used to seal up the holes in, in bees nests so this milky substance is sticky and therefore because of this character characteristic it would protect the leaves and the figs from something called a parasite fig wasp and this parasite fig wasp was really a predator of the tree and so think of the think of the kingdom you think of who is the predator if you will of the kingdom Hasatan and his minions 
And so this milky substance is our protection against this other kingdom. And if you think about the milk of the Torah, the Torah is identified with milk. That's the way we protect ourselves. It's the word of God that we feed on and that we nourish ourselves with in order to protect us from the kingdom of the enemy. So, And this word, the Torah, that represents the milk, that sticky substance in the leaves also heals wounds, binds up wounds, it heals all our wounds, it seals up holes, it protects our home. So you see the pattern here of this milky substance protecting the tree, protecting our homes. Now that kind of summarizes Deborah. We also have some her husband, which is not really, he's not really mentioned too much, named Lapidote, which means torches. And it would be the same word in from Genesis chapter 15 that we see when there's a, the covenant between Abraham and God, the covenant between the parts. If you'll recall, there was a torch that passed between the parts, and that would be the same word, the, the lapidot. And those of you who do the Havdalah service Saturday night, you have you light a torch, and so that's the same word. It's a candle with many wicks, not just not just one. And then we have Barak, who's uh, the uh, number one commander under Deborah. His name means lightning. So Deborah could represent uh, we as the community or the kingship of Israel. The Barak represent Messiah, perhaps, the one who would defeat Sisera, who is a picture of the enemy. Sisera is just like the thorn or the thorn bush in, in Avimelech that we have, a picture of the false Messiah, the one who would in every generation would attack the children of Israel. And his name Sisra comes from a root sur, which means to turn the heads of the people to another direction. So isn't that really the game plan of the enemy is to turn the heads of people away from the Torah, away from God, to another direction. And finally we have a guy named Yavin. You might you might know it as Jabin. And he is the commander over Sisera, so in a sense, he's a picture of Hasatan. His name, in fact, means a tent divided. So typically, the what the enemy's camp is always doing is trying to divide God's camp. And he does a marvelous job of it. So the idea of a house divided against itself cannot stand. And that is the mission of Yavin is to separate and divide the people of God. And, of course, that was certainly successful in Israel because Israel uh, itself divided between two houses, Judah and Israel. And finally, we have my favorite person. You might know her as Jael, but her, her name is Yael, which actually means Ibex. And I believe she points to the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the power of God. And in fact, if you take her name, Ayod, Ayin, and Lamed, and for those of you who are familiar with Gematria, where each letter has a numerical value, you find that her name has the value of 110. So why is that significant? Well, interestingly enough, Joseph and Joshua both died at the age of 110. So both of them are wonderful types and pictures of Yeshua, and to think of them as being raised up by the Holy Spirit, 110, and, and that uh, connecting then to Yael, whose, whose name has that value. Now, if you'll recall, um, old Sisera was hot, running away, and he ended up in the tent, in her tent. And so what did she do? She took a tent peg in her left hand and a hammer in her right, 
and she pierced the skull of Sisera. Basically, she crushed his head. So now we have an image from Genesis 3.15, the image of the seed of the woman, of the Messiah, crushing the head of the serpent, Sisera, the false Messiah. So all that's kind of played out here in our story with Deborah. And what did she give him to drink? I thought this was interesting. So she gave him something to drink to basically knock him out so she could uh, crush his head. And she gave him milk. So again, remember, milk is often, it's an idiom sometimes of the Torah, the Word of God. And what is it to the enemy? It irritates our flesh. It irritates the enemy. The enemy, it, the, the camp, the kingdom of the enemy is in complete opposition to the kingdom of the Torah, the constitution of the Torah. It, it is the exact antithesis of that. And so, again, the Torah irritates the flesh. And interestingly enough, um, the, this milky, thick, sticky substance that's in the leaves actually causes uh, death to those parasite fig wafts. Uh, actually, they will die if they get in it and stuck to it. So the death of Sisera... The key here is that's what protects the fig tree. The Torah of God, the flesh, I mean the uh, milk uh, related to the Torah, the sticky uh, latex substance in the leaves is what protects the tree. And so that's what protects us. The Torah protects us from Sisera. Now, we're just going to talk, mention only King Shaul. We're not going to go into a lot of detail because he's kind of next in our list. But he was never really the true king of Israel. He's, of course, the one the people wanted, but really not the not God's choice. Uh, he gave them what they wanted. And we see that in really in every generation. The people get the leader they deserve or that they want. And now in Ruth Rabbah describes King Shaul as an offshoot of a sycamore. And if you'll recall a couple of weeks back, I talked about offshoots. They were not the way that the tree reproduces. The offshoots typically wither up and die. They dry up and they don't produce new life. That The new, new life from the fig tree comes from uh, the cuttings of the branches, not from the offshoots. So as, as I mentioned, Ruth Rabah describes King Shaul as an offshoot, and so certainly not he's not one of the branches. Now, of course, he didn't really produce any fruit as the king over, um, over Israel at the time, and certainly... His was a walk of sin and disobedience, and as a result, no fruit or no descendants or no seed came from his loins. And basically, his line was cut off and separated from the line of the kingship. And that would be certainly the line of Judah. Remember, King Shaul is from the tribe of Benjamin, although those two tribes did join together. But he was, he was never, you know, he was not from, he was not going to produce new fruit that would come forth. So from here we're going to move into a very interesting character and one that's very important if we're going to understand the concept of the fig tree. Now this guy, his name you might, this is the sort of anglicized version, Jehoiakim. I think that's usually how people pronounce it. But in Hebrew his name is Jehoiachin. But he also has a number of other names which causes some confusion. Uh, one of his other names is Yekonia, and he's also called Yekinyahu. So that's kind of confusing, but th they're really all the same guy, if you come across those names in, in Scripture. He is the grandson of Josiah. And he, Yekonia, basically, 
Yehoiachin did great evil in the eyes of God. And it's amazing to me because he only ruled three months and ten days. So he must have done a whole lot of evil, because <laughs> that's not a lot of time as a ruler to be able to accomplish that much evil. But I suppose the same could be said for us. Uh, he did not keep the Torah of God. Okay, so he did evil in the eyes of God. So the consequences of that is that God sent King Nebuchadnezzar uh, from the east, from Babylon, to march on Jerusalem and lay siege to the city. And so Yehoiachin was taken out to meet King Nebuchadnezzar and basically taken captive by him. So we'll stop there for this week. We're going to pick it up next time. We're going to go into a little more detail about Yehoiachin, Jehoiachin, who, who's one that's kind of an important character in all this in determining the lines of the kings of Judah. So I want to encourage you to go to my website, foundationsintorah.com, and you can get a variety of teaching materials. I have a new program called Study to Show Yourself Approved if you'd like to learn how to study and use these methods. And also uh, check out Bible Interact TV for the latest there from amongst all our scholars. So we'll see you next time. Shalom.